It is an honor. It is a joy. It is a privilege to stand before you um, and just to be able to talk about God. Amen? Uh, to be able to talk about the one true and living God with you is a joy. Amen? Um, I don't get this joy because of uh, myself, uh, because of any self-righteousness, but only because of God's grace. And I pray today that the Lord would captivate your mind and your attention with his word as we listen to what the Spirit of the Lord is telling us. Uh, to those of you who are visiting with us for the first time or maybe uh, for the second time, again, we extend a warm welcome to you, and we are glad that you have chosen to worship with us today. Uh, today we are concluding a series um, that was intended to encourage those who are single um, to, to pursue the Lord in their singleness, and those who are married to have the appropriate view of singleness. And the name of the series is simply Living Single. Last, uh, two weeks ago, we began to talk about the subject of what to do when love's in view. That is, uh, what do you do? How do you go about pursuing marriage with a person? And uh, we want to pick up with that thought today. So I pray that the Lord would minister to your hearts if you're single and if you're married, uh, that he would do uh, the same. In an autobiography of five uh, short chapters, uh, a writer by the name of Portia Nelson uh, says these words. She says, chapter one, I walk down the street and there is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in, I'm lost, I'm helpless, it isn't my fault. It takes me forever to find my way out. Chapter 2. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in a sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place. But it isn't my fault. It still takes me a long time to get out. Chapter 3. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it is there. I still fall in. It's a habit. But my eyes are open. I know where I am now. It is my fault. I get out immediately. Chapter 4. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter 5. I walk down another street. Today, my prayer is... For those of you who are single and who have found yourself going through the same motion, falling in the same relationship traps, my prayer for you this morning is that the spirit of the living God, that it would quicken your heart, that the word of God would encourage you today to walk down a different street. A street that pleases the Lord. By a, another street, I mean, I, I pray that the Lord would, would call you to a different model of pursuing God and pursuing a relationship. See, the world's model is a model that says, when I'm pursuing a relationship or when I'm getting to know a person, that intimacy and entertainment is our first priority. And commitment and substance 
comes second. It says, pick me up for the day. Wear your best outfit. Have on your best cologne. Take me to the best restaurant. Take me to the best movie. Tell me your best lines. And let's do it over and over and over again. And eventually we will get to the stuff that matters. Eventually I will find out what your view is about marriage. Eventually I will find out what your view is about God. Eventually I will find out what your finances look like and your credit score is. But for now, let's just have fun. And let's even engage ourselves in sexual intimacy until we find out if we are called to be with each other. The model that the Lord, I believe, wants us to seek is a model that says substance and commitment is our first priority. Followed by intimacy on God's terms when the time is proper. It says substance and commitment first. Intimacy when it is appropriate. And by intimacy, of course, I mean there are specifically sexual sexual intimacy. And also, uh, I don't mean that in the dating process, in the courting process, that you can't have fun. Uh, You can't enjoy each other. But you're enjoying each other with the purpose to move forward for marriage from the very beginning. So, two weeks ago, we began to look at some practical thoughts of wisdom on how to go about uh, seeing if a person is meant for you. Uh, we, we, We put some things in place that said, This is some some wisdom. These are some things that you can do to see if the Lord is calling you to this person. Now, I want to stress again that this is not rules. That all of these things I'm not saying that you have to do in the way that I've said them. Again, these are statements and these are things that are, are wise. And things that can keep you from falling in the same hole. I'm simply trying to warn you and show you that there is a hole down this street that you're going. And there's a reason why most of your relationships end the way they do, with you hating the other person or just being casual and just saying hi and bye. There's a reason why you have a deep hole in your heart and a a deep bitterness towards the people that you've dated before. And it may be because... You did not go about it in the wisest way, the way that God's word encouraged. So if you look at your worksheets, you'll see uh, a section that has some fill in the blanks. And for those of you who brought uh, the same worksheet from two weeks ago, um, I did add one more point. Okay. So we'll do a quick review and look at this practical wisdom. The first thing we said is when love's in view... When you see the one who you, who you just think God is calling you to, the person who makes you pray, the Lord is my shepherd, I see what I want. The first thing you should do is you should stop, drop, and pray. We talked about prayer. And the type of prayer that we want to pray is not, Lord, make this person be my husband. But we want to pray, Lord, I am interested in this person. Would you give me eyes of discernment and the courage to walk away quickly 
if this person is not who you would have me to pursue marriage with? I think that's an appropriate prayer. The second thing we talked about was guys initiate and girls get insight. Guys initiate and girls get insight. By insight, we simply mean go and get advice from a wise Christian on how to proceed, ladies, if you see a gentleman that you're interested in. We talked about there the importance of the man manning up and pursuing the young lady rather than her being the one to pursue him. After all, in the Garden of Eden, we see that God called Adam to pursue Eve, and even Adam pursued Eve. And we see that in Scripture, man is to be the leader and the head of his home. I think it is a, a bad sign of what is to come if the woman is chasing the man. Amen? Man, if you have a young lady that is chasing you and making a marriage happen or is constantly telling you that the Lord told her that you are her husband, I've got one word and three letters for you. Run. R-U-N. Amen. Number three, examine the fruit of their faith. Examine the fruit of their faith. When you examine fruit at a grocery store, you are examining to see if you believe that it is healthy on the inside. The same is true when it comes to uh, getting to know a person and trying to decide if you are going to court this person or date this person. From the beginning, you want to be looking at this person and seeing, do you see as a Christian, do you see evidence of God's spirit in them? Do you see evidence of God at work in their hand? Is this person a new creature, a new creation? Have they been regenerated by the Holy Spirit? Do they love Jesus and his gospel? Are they committed to his kingdom and his church? So you've got to question them. You've got to look at their life and see. This person says that they're a Christian, but they hardly ever go to church. This person says that they're a Christian, but they have no idea where, the, where books of the Bible are at all. And they say they've been saved for 15 or 20 years. This person says that they're a Christian, but they think it's drudgery to listen to Christian music. All right, y'all got the point. And that means that you may have to examine the fruit of your faith. And the main question you want to ask yourself is, do I treasure and love Jesus? Is Jesus my life or is he just a part of my life? Like taking the kids to soccer practice or going to work. All right, here's some new material, number four. We're going to move through number four uh, rather quickly. Number five, we're going to spend a lot of time on. Number six is going to supplement. Number five and number seven, we're going to walk through real quickly. Y'all got that? Amen? Amen. <laughs> what? Number four, define the relationship. Define the relationship. All right. So, love's in view. I begin to talk to this person. From the beginning, I want to make sure that this person that I am pursuing, you want to make sure that they understand something about you. 
And what you want them to understand and what you want to be convicted about is this. I pray that the Lord will lead you to this. I do not date just to date. I do not hang out, go into intimate, uh, 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 I was about to say sessions, but intimate dates, go on intimate dates with individuals for the sake of going on an intimate date. If I am going on a date with you, if I am sitting down with a person and getting to know a person for a long period of time, it is because I believe that this person believes in biblical marriage and is working towards marriage. So dating for the sake of dating is not wise. One of the reasons it's not wise is because you're just, you're working, you're really not leading or working up to what matters, and, and that is the union of marriage. And you are getting closer to this person without having clarity on where you're going. So you're setting yourself up emotionally to give yourself to this person in ways that you should not give the, yourself to this person. So from the beginning, I believe that if, if someone is taking you out to, to dinner or wants to do something, wants to go to a coffee shop, that is wise in that first conversation that you let them know, hey, I don't just date to date. This is my, my stance on, on marriage, this is my stance on life, and this is kind of where I'm moving forward. I'm not saying that you've got to marry me, I'm not saying that you've got to propose, but I want you to know what we're doing. Amen. That will save a lot of time and a lot of confusion. Because what ends up happening is that conversation doesn't happen in two or three years down the road. And then you end up finding that the person you've been spending time with doesn't want children and doesn't want to get married. And now you're mad trying to force him or force her to, to view it this way, and you're connected and you're stuck, and now you begin to compromise. So you need to define the relationship. I believe that gentlemen, men that are here, we need to lead. You need to stand up if you are talking to a young lady, and you need to lead her. You need to be the one who initiates this DTR. You need to be the one who's telling her, listen, uh, I believe in, in marriage, and this is, this is the plan, and this is where I am, and, and this is where we are. And throughout the relationship, uh, as, as the Lord is, is leading you, you need to wisely bring that up and make sure that you both have an understanding of where you are going. Ladies, use wisdom. So hear what I'm saying and hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that the first thing you need to say to someone who comes up to you, who you think is, is a believer, who you're interested in, I'm not saying right away you need to say, if you ain't about marriage, we don't need to talk. Uh, I'm saying that you need to use wisdom and wisely bring it up at the appropriate times. So maybe three or five months into the relationship, um, you guys want to establish a, a system of communication where you, in a non-threatening way, can simply ask him, where are we? How do you feel things are going? Amen? Turn to Romans chapter 13, verse 8 through 14. Romans chapter 13, verse 8. And we're going to read uh, to verse 14. 
Somebody say DTR it. Amen. DTR. Define that thing. Some of y'all ain't here. Y'all, y'all don't been together seven years. Don't have a clue where y'all at. Amen. Somebody say, you need to define that thing. Amen. Verse number eight. It says, no, owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love the, your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is fulfilling the law. A lot of times in relationships, we go about it in such a self-centered way, a way that ends up uh, leading us, as I said, to compromise, and we are, we are sinning against the person that we're dating because we're stealing time from them. We are taking them along an emotional roller coaster. Some of you know, have known for two years that the person that you're dating or kind of booed up with or the person that you refuse to give a title to, you've known for two years that that person is not going to be your husband or your wife. But you are leading them on and hanging on to them until you can get an upgrade. It is selfish. It is sinful. It is breaking the, the second of the greatest commandment, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. You need to look in the mirror and ask yourself the question, if someone was doing this to me, if someone was treating me this way, if someone was using me like this, how would I feel? How would I respond? If it is not leading to marriage, get out. If you have no intention of marrying that young lady, get out. And I'm not talking about in five or ten years. If you do not know if a person is your husband or your wife after a year, year and a half, it's not. It's either it's not or you have not spent time getting to know that person in the way that you should. And I'm not talking about bra and and, and, uh, underwear sizes. After a year and a half, you should know someone's character. After a year and a half, you should know if someone loves God. After a year and a half, you should know if this is the person that you want to help raise children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. What's what's some reasons why we don't? Well, I want to do this, and I want to reach this goal, and I want to do this, and I want to do that. Okay, cool, do that. But tell this person you need to take a break and do that. Don't take from this person, don't milk this person of their emotions until you selfishly fulfill what you want to fulfill. If that person is not good enough to go through a season of brokenness with you, they're not good enough to marry. So you might not start off in the house. You might start off in a, a one-bedroom apartment or, 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 or something, some other living arrangement. That's fine. Amen. It continues. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. 
For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. Not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. When you string someone along, when you are going for connection without clarity, you will end up falling into sinful habits. This text tells us that the day is at hand. Every day that goes past, we are one day closer to seeing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And and while we are wasting time arguing and fighting and fussing and and cussing and, and warring with each other, trying to make something fit that does not fit, we are wasting time that we could be spending knowing Jesus and making him known. There are 4.5 billion people in this world who do not know Jesus, the one who saved you, the one who bled for you, the one who went on Calvary for you, the one who said you are saved by grace and maintained by grace, the one who set you apart from this dark and wicked world, the one who gave you a heart to love him and to know him. There are people who do not know him and we are asleep. Wasting time on frivolous and selfish pursuits. Number two. Number five, excuse me. Number two today, amen. Pursue purity together. Pursue purity together. So make sure you're not wasting each other's time. Communicate clearly. But pursue purity together. From day one, when you are talking, ladies and and gentlemen, you want to wisely tell the person that you are talking in a a very non-threatening way, up front, when you guys go out on your first whatever or are having a good conversation, that you are called to sexual purity. And you are committed to fighting for delight in the Lord and not giving yourself away before marriage. If that gentleman looks at you and say, well, I'm not the one, you say, baby, bye. The Bible is very clear that sexual contact outside of marriage is a sin. And not just sexual contact, but desiring someone in our heart that is is not ours, uh, that is not our spouse. It is a, a sexual sin. Sex should be called the marriage act because it is a gift from God that should only be opened in the context of marriage. When two people have made a vow before God and their local church, with the appropriate government documentation to prove it, then they can be married, uh, they can engage in the marriage act, which is sex, which is sexual contact. Amen? Sex is intended to bring two people together as one for the glory of God and in God's presence. It is the most intimate act. It is the most precious gift your body is that you have. And God intends for that gift 
to be given when a person has cut a covenant between you and them in the presence of God and the believers. Sexual uh, uh, contact and, and sexual intimacy outside of the covenant of marriage is called fornication. And fornication is a sin. It does not please God. So you must decide to please God by offering your body as a living sacrifice to God from the beginning. You must have your your mind made up to give your body, to set it aside to the one who set his body aside for you. When we engage in sex outside of marriage, a, a few dangerous and bad things happen. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. You can turn there, I'm going to, to go ahead and read. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. It says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside of the body. But the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other uh, sin is sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. When you partake in fornication, which is to be sexually involved with a person who is not your spouse, pornea, to act in a pornographic way with your spouse. This includes text messaging, sexting, and everything else. It is a sin. You are hurting yourself. He says he sins against his own body. What does Paul mean when he says that? That it is the only sin that is against his or her own body. John MacArthur has this, this comment when he says, there's a sense in which sexual sin destroys a person like no other because it is so intimate and entangling. It corrupts us on the deepest level. But Paul is probably not just alluding to this. He's probably including venereal disease, which was very prevalent and devastating in Corinth during that time. No sin has the greater potential to destroy the body, something a believer should avoid because of these given realities. Sexual sin outside of marriage, it is so dangerous and it can cause so much pain because it is the most intimate act that two people can partake in together. And some of you have soul ties because you have uh, given yourself away with people that you know that God is not calling you to marriage and you feel like it's just so hard to separate. Part of that is because you've given the, the, the most intimate part of yourself to them. But Jesus can help. Jesus can free you from that. Number two, B, you, you, fall, you fail to bring glory to God with your body. Uh, Paul goes on to say, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Who you have uh, been given from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. 
Glorify God in your body. When we give ourselves away before marriage, we fail to bring God glory in our body. We fail to have a testimony that says, God is able to keep me. God is able to sustain me. He is able to, to keep us pure before him. The Bible says that you were bought with a price, meaning that your body belongs to the Lord. And the reason why it belongs to the Lord, if you're a believer, is because Jesus purchased it. He purchased it, purchased it on Calvary's cross when he died for you. He purchased you. And the reason he could purchase you is because Jesus did what you could not do. Jesus was sinless, the Bible says. And he, even though he was fully human and, and fully God, the Bible teaches us that, that he did not give in to sexual temptation. And y'all got to know, Jesus probably was uh, tempted by Satan in that area. For the writer of Hebrews says that he was tempted in every way that we were. This man was healing the blind. This man was commanding multitudes to come to him. This man was raising people from the dead. This man was preaching like no one had ever seen. You know that there were some groupies around Jesus. But Jesus kept the course. Why did he keep the course? Because he had you on his mind. Because he wanted to purchase you and purchase your body so that his spirit will be able to indwell inside of you. You were bought with a price, and that price cost Jesus his life. This Jesus loved you so much that he gave his life for you. You belong to him. We were slaves of unrighteousness. Now the Bible says we are slaves of Christ. It belongs to him. Now, salvation is free. But may we remember, dear child, salvation was not cheap. Just because something was free does not mean that it's cheap. It costs the Son of God his life. So we want to remember that. That when we give ourselves away to a person who is not our husband or wife, and we are not married to that person, well, that's my husband and wife, we're just not married yet. We're going to get married another five years. That's not how it works. You fail to bring glory to God. You hurt yourself. Number two, you sin against God and you create a distance between them. Some of you are entangled in sexual sin and you have created a distance with it. It doesn't mean that God does not love you if you are his. The Bible says that he loves you and there's nothing that can separate you from his love. But some of you have fallen into a deep hole, and, and that deep hole is, is fornication. It is giving yourself away to someone who has not made a covenant before God to love you. You have fallen into a deep, deep, deep hole, and you are sinning against the God who loved you enough to allow his son to die the death that you deserve because of your wickedness and your sinfulness. And what's happening is day after day you're saying, God, where's your presence? God, where is this your intimacy? God, where is your spirit that should be enabling me to love you? God, why is this so hard to love you? Why is it so hard for me to come after you? And God is speaking to you, but, but his voice is not as close as it could be because your sin is separating you from him. The Bible says that when we habitually and intentionally sin, that we grieve the Holy Spirit. When someone is grieved, what happens? They are quiet. 
We grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, instead of speaking to us and and instead of encouraging us to run to the word, it is silent and we are struggling. God said, but there is freedom for you. Not only that, but we, we mar his bride. The Bible says that we are the body of Christ and we are the bride of Christ. And it calls us to holiness. It calls us to purity so that we as a local body can feel the presence of God and the anointing of God when we gather together. But when we as a body have not decided together to pursue the Lord in purity, we mar his bride in the area that the Lord has us. Sex is an act of worship. Sex is an act of worship. Writer of Hebrew says, let, ma- let the marriage bed be held in honor among all. And let, the mar- and let marriage be undefiled, for God will judge the sexual immoral and the idolatrous. That word undefiled is a word that we, we hear throughout the scriptures. It's a, it's a word that will remind us of worship in the, in the Old Testament when, when people would come before God and, and, and make, make sacrifices. And, and sometimes they would make sacrifices before God unwarranted and, and make sacrifices in a way that defiles God. This sex is an act of worship when a husband and a wife comes together. In, in intimacy, they are worshiping not each other, but they are worshiping God as they appreciate the gift that God has given them. But the same thing is true when two people who are, oh, two, uh, when a, a Christian comes and, and gives himself to someone who is not their husband, they are worshiping. Mark Driscoll says this, a, a, a drastic and, 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 a, and a powerful statement that I, I think is true. He says when two people have sex outside of marriage, their bed becomes an altar to demons. Sex is an act of worship. Next time you're taking off your coat, she's taking off her coat, and you're taking off your shirt, and he's taking off his shirt. The next time you got Luther Vandross going in the back or Trey Songs, whoever it is, know that you are getting ready to worship. And either you are worshiping the one and true God for the gift that he has given you, or you are worshiping yourself in the presence of demons. Brother, see that woman as your sister in Christ. Not as someone who fulfills your sexual desires. Go into a dating relationship. Go into a courting relationship because you genuinely want to be a part of her life and you want to pursue God with her. Not because you want to take from her and see what she will give you. Paul tells Timothy, encourage older women as mother and younger women as sisters with all purity. When you see a young lady in this church, don't see uh, uh, sizes and shapes. See someone who has been redeemed by God or who has not been redeemed by God. See someone who is either going to spend eternity in heaven with God or eternity in hell separated from a God who loves them more than you could ever love them. See them. See them in that way. When you take God's daughter, the one who he redeemed, and you use her for your own sexual advantage, you take God's daughter and you make her to be a prostitute. 
When you use your sexuality like Delilah to, 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 to woo in Samson, you take the man of God that God has set apart and you make him to be a gigolo. It's hard. And the reason why it's hard for some of us is because we're playing house. You say, well, I want sexual freedom, do you? I want to please God with my sexuality, do you? Then do you think it's the best thing for you to sleep in the same bed with each other and spend a night with each other? Is it the wisest thing for you all to be together at 12 o'clock at night watching a romantic classic together? It's not playhouse. Statistics show that those who play house together, those who move in together and live together, shack as we call it, that they have a very low percentage of those end up getting married. So maybe today that's you. You're, you're living with your boyfriend, you're living with your girlfriend, and you guys are playing house and there is no commitment for marriage and you're saying, well, maybe if he just sees how much I love him, how much I'll take care of him and how I'll do his laundry, maybe, maybe he'll love me more. I'm telling you, it's a trap. Stats show that you have a very small percentage, a very small percentage in succeeding. So what is the solution? Is the solution for me to run out of here and try to manage my sexuality? Is today's solution for, me, for pursuing purity to, to make promises to myself and to make laws for myself and to make rules for myself? No, it's not. I'm not telling you to do anything. I'm not telling you when you run out of here to, to write down all the things that you've got to do. And I'm not trying to tell you to, to, to come up with these lists. What am I telling you to do? I'm telling you to run to Jesus. You're struggling with sexual sin and you know that you've given your body away. Run to Jesus when you leave here. And as you are here, just cry out to him and say, Jesus, you saved me. You redeemed me. Your word says you love me. Will you help me? Will you give me wisdom? Will you empower me by, my, by your steer? Will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? See, what you're looking for is intimacy. That's why you're having sexual intimacy. What you're looking for is, is someone to love you unconditionally, someone to accept you. And I want to tell you, dear Christian, that if you believe in Jesus, you are accepted by him and you can be loved in a way that no one else could ever love you. In those moments, you're saying, I feel a connection and I want to feel it deeper. And I'm telling you that that's not the answer. The answer is found in the one who is connected to a cross who buried your sins and who on the third day rose again with all power. And the Bible says that with that same power, he is able to keep you. He is able to keep you. And he's able to forgive you. So last night you slept with someone and you're a Christian. Guess what? If you ask for forgiveness today, the Bible says that he will not remember last night. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins. you from all and right. What kind of love is this? What kind of relationship is this that we have a God who will forgive us when we confess and repent? Fornication can lead one to hell. Fornication can lead one to despair. But we've got to remember that as Christians, we were washed by the blood of Jesus. 
Turn to Jesus. Be washed. Be cleansed. Be forgiven. Be reconciled. Be free. Make a commitment. Make a commitment to trust Jesus for your sanctification. Number six, embrace accountability. Embrace accountability. Embrace accountability. If you're in a relationship with someone and you're pursuing that person, uh, it is wise for you all to have someone who can hold you accountable. Have someone that you uh, are a couple that you can talk to regularly about your relationship, that you can confess sins to. James chapter 5 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we need each other. And some of you, you are with someone that you love deeply and that you know that the Lord is is calling you to, to marry. And it is going to be so hard for you all to stay sexually pure because there is not only a connection, but maybe there's a clarity. There's a clarity. You you guys know what you're working towards, and you're convinced of it. So in order to stay sexually pure, you run to Jesus, but, but you also have people who can constantly talk and speak to your heart. So you find a brother or sister in Christ, and you say, hey, once a month or once every, uh, uh, every other week, can we just sit down and can we talk about our relationship and can we confess sins? Because I know that if, I can, if I'm looking into your eyes, if we're looking into your eyes every other week or, or whatever, that, that that's going to be in the back of our mind when we make decisions together. Amen? So confess your sins. Seek and embrace accountability. It is difficult when you love someone and you have clarity, connection and clarity on where you are going to not want to show that to the other person. But accountability will help you. Also, one thing that we have here is uh, at this church we have, have pastors that are willing to counsel you. So let's say you are dating someone, you're in a relationship with them, and you're not sure where you're going, and they're not sure where you're going, and you need someone to talk to, guess what? You can call, Sister Francis called a church, and you can say, I want to sit down with one of the brothers that serve here. And either myself, uh, Pastor Nate, Pastor Maceo, one of these brothers, uh, one of us will sit down with you and talk about your relationship and help give you clarity using biblical principles and biblical wisdom. Amen? Amen. So embrace that. If you're thinking about getting married, embrace that accountability. Last, we're going to look at this. Number seven. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Some of us are in bad situations with with dating and have made bad uh, decisions because we're trying to do it in our own strength, in our own way. And we've ended up in holes. All of us have. We're all sinners. Any day we can end up in a hole. Any day I can end up in a hole, you can end up in a hole. But when we end up in a hole, we have to know why we're in a hole. The root of all sin is simply not trusting God, not looking to God for salvation, not looking to his wisdom, 
and not trusting his spirit. So I want to call you today to trust the Lord, not your own wisdom. You may be sitting here, you may have listened to the series, and you say, yeah, all that is true, but I just know that this is going to work out. Even though he's not a believer, even though she's not a believer, I know that this can work out for me. I know that God can save them. I know that God, I just feel, I feel, I feel, I feel this for them. I feel this way. And I'm telling you to trust his word, trust his wisdom, and not your feelings. Feelings can mess you up. And for some of us, feelings have messed us up for years. Remember, you're walking down the street. There is a hole in the ground. Are you going to decide to trust the Lord or to trust your feelings? Stand up real quick. Did this a couple weeks ago. I want to do it again. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. He will direct your path. Trust in the Lord. Lean on the Lord, not on your own wisdom. At this time, if you're standing next to someone, I just simply, if they are able to, and if you are able to physically, just to gently just kind of lean your weight on that person. There you go. Just lean your weight. Find somebody. Lean your weight on them. Now, this is how some of us are doing, right? And that's how some of us trust God. That's how others of us are doing. And that's how some of us trust God. To trust the Lord means to lean on him completely. It means that no matter what the circumstances are saying, no matter how you feel, that you are going to trust that he knows best and that he loves you deeper than anyone else can love you. Continue to stand. You can stop leaning. Just want you to hear these words as you stand. Trust in the Lord. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Trust in, lean not in all, and he will. Single woman, you believe God for a husband, you want a husband. Remember, marriage is a gift, not a gruesome curse. Trust in, lean not in all, and he will. Single gentlemen, you believe God, you want to get married, you're single. Don't force something to happen. Get busy for the kingdom of God. Trust in, lean not in all, he will. Single parent, it's hard raising those kids by yourself. And you believe that just having someone next to you to help you will, will help them and help you to grow. And that, that may be true, but, but maybe now's not the time. I need you to trust in. Lean not. In all. I promise you, he will. That's a promise. Psalm 13 and 5 says, But I have trusted in your unfailing love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Trust in God because of his unfailing love. Psalm 27 says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Trust in the name, the character of the Lord. Psalm 31, 14, but I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. Trust in the Lord because he is your God. Psalm 52, verse 8 says, but I am like an olive tree flourishing in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. Trust in him because he is able to make you flourish. 
Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is your refuge. Psalm 62 and 8, trust in the Lord because he's a refuge. Psalm 86 and 2, guard my life, O Lord, for I am devoted to you. You are my God, save your servant who trusts in you. Trust in the Lord because you are his servant. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Psalm 118, verse 8. Psalm 118, verse 9. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Do not put your trust in him or her if they are leading you away from God. Do not put your trust in them if they're not willing to pray with you. Do not put your trust in them if they're not willing to pursue purity with you. Trust in the Lord. So, in the beginning, I asked you, I'm sorry, I I talked to you about going down a different street. Only the Lord will enable you to do that. Only the Lord will enable you to do that. Look to him. Run to him today. Run to Jesus and trust him. Run to get Jesus for forgiveness of sin. Run to him for strength and courage. Run to him for your ultimate satisfaction. Run to him for life and life more abundantly. Run to him for your future and your children's future. Run to him for the sake of his name and his goodness and his kingdom. Run to him in faith and you will meet the God who cared enough for you to die in your place. Who cared enough for you to raise his son and allow him to sit next to him in heaven interceding for you. Trust in that God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your people. Do what you need to do through your spirit. Thank you for forgiveness. We stand before you as the people who are righteous because of Jesus' righteousness. Thank you, Father God, for justifying us by faith. Thank you, Father God, for throwing away our sin in a sea of forgetfulness. Thank you for forgiving that person who feels guilt-ridden and who feels like they've just messed up their life. Thank you, Father God, because in you they are new creatures. In you, you have given them new life. In you, this is a new day, and you love them, Father God. And grace and mercy is following them. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.